a pipe is a pipe is a pipe, but you can have one that's nicer than another, right? And so really what I was referencing there is bowl hole. So the part that's in, in here to the carb on the side, the bowl hole needs to be smaller than the carb. If you've ever used a pipe that never seemed to clear, it just, it always was chalked. You're like, it just won't, it would never clear. It's because your bowl hole was bigger than your carb hole. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields, and with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Chris Piazza, co-founder of Canada Devices. Chris, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? Oh, not too bad, Brian. Thanks for having me. Excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. You know, looking forward to holding down the West Coast, and especially looking forward to chat about the ancillary equipment needed to consume cannabis. You know, how are you, Brian? I'm doing well. And just for the record, state, Chris is an East Coaster. So the record is stated on that. So Chris, for our listeners that aren't familiar about you, can you share a little background about you and how you got into the cannabis space? No problem, no problem. So you know, I started out in uh, 2008 as a glassblower. I um, actually learned the trade myself and uh, you know, did a little bit of traveling around, living in my car, uh, just living that free life you know, uh, as, a, as a starving artist, pretty much. And um, moved back to the East Coast, I guess, in Chicago. Um, you know, Midwest, East Coast, whatever. But uh, I just got to throw it out there. So I uh, moved back to Chicago where my family was and um, got situated a little bit more, uh, you know, sort of planted some roots and started blowing glass uh, with my business partner. He had a, a chain of um, head shops in the area. We had like a little school going. I got into the scientific glass world. So I did some work with the, like the DOD and things like that. Went back off on my own, and then my uh, my partner Bob Bank he came to me with an idea um, to start to build a distribution company for dispensaries. Um, I'd been working in the head shop, smoke shop space for most of my career, and then uh, we saw this opportunity that there was so much import, not super high quality glass in dispensaries, and I have a pretty strong network of glass blowers. So we built this company, Canada Devices, and the, it started out with a mission to, for one, provide quality products to dispensaries, but also take care of artists and have true full-time opportunity and, and work because up until this point, there hadn't been anybody that had been able to provide solid, consistent work as a distributor. It's sort of hit or miss. Some distributors did better than others. But uh, for the most part, as an artist, I never was able to find a distributor that could keep me keep me working. Um, and so that was our our main thing, artist focused. Um, now we're getting into some other products as well. But yeah, so I've been in the cannabis space since 2008. Um, in other industries, that I guess isn't that long, but in this industry, it's crazy how many people are like, "Oh, three months." It's like, "Wow, cool!" <laughs> like I'm glad you're here, and I know it's more than three months because you probably were partaking before you got into it. But, um, you know, uh, yeah, that's sort of my journey. I'm fascinated by how you got into glass blowing. Was it something that you did as a child? You were interested in certain artistic qualities and it kind of led you down that path. Like, take us how one finds that journey. <laughs> like I just said, a lot of people partake before they get into the industry. So I was like 14 and this kid came back from a fish show. And uh, it was, uh, I don't know, trench coats mean something different today than they used to. Uh, this kid had a trench coat though, and he had a whole bunch of pipes and he just started showing all these things off. And I was like, 
what is this? So I, I bought a pipe and, you know, we ditched first period and we went um, out in the woods and we were just smoking. And uh, I remember it, it, you know, I obviously, you know, got it first. I, I passed around and it came back to me and the, the light hit it. And I'm just looking at this. I'm getting tingles just thinking about it. I was like, you know, there's like four of us sitting around. I saw his piece. It lit up in the sun. I was like, I looked around. I said, I'm going to fucking make these. Excuse me. I don't know if that's all right. For that's, yeah, it's, it's all right, cool. <laughs> um, but I'm, I want to make these. This is what I want to do. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, 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 whatever. Um, then, you know, yeah, I was like uh, 22 or so, um, 21 out in Colorado. And before Facebook, there were forums. And I found a glass forum. I put up a post. I said, hey, I, I'm, I'm finishing up doing seasonal work at Copper Mountain, looking for an apprenticeship. And uh, got down. And within 24 hours, I found an apprenticeship. And Roan Glass, I always like to throw out some love to him. It's at R-O-N-E Glass uh, on Instagram. He's an amazing artist. He took me under his wing. And uh, yeah, that's how I got started. So, I mean, with glass blowing, there's a ton of different items that you can make, right? Um, but you kind of ended up settling on on smoking devices. So what, what was was it just kind of that pairing the passion of, of cannabis and the glass blowing together and it just created that uh, that opportunity? Is that kind of the, the whole story associated with why uh, smoking devices were your your specialty, I guess? Pretty much. You know, I, I'd, I'd been involved um, in the cannabis industry in different ways, um, you know, sourcing, supplying type of situations. Yep. And then, uh, so it was just sort of like a, like a nice transition from there, you know? Yeah. The industry has always been where I, I kind of felt my place was. What's the biggest difference from a glass product perspective in terms of blowing, blowing glass for like smoking devices versus you mentioned earlier, you kind of dabbled in the scientific glass blowing sector as well. So what are the, some of the differences associated with those two methods, if you will? So actually there's not as much as you would think. So in from pipes to scientific, those are generally speaking a, a borosilicate blend of some sort, which is a hard glass. The glass used to make most pipes came from the scientific glass uh, raw material. Now, when you're talking about vases and all sorts of other things, like things you'll, I'm in Vegas right now at the G4 conference and I'm seeing like the Chihuly exhibits and yeah. stuff like that. That's all what's called soft glass. And so that's a totally different animal. That's like uh, how I describe it as like oil painting versus like painting with a pencil uh, or, you know, drawing with a pencil. Um, but as far as scientific glass, it's actually very similar. I want to stay on like the learning curve associated with that, right? So your first day of blowing glass, is that something where like it's a weak learning curve, it takes a month or something like you've got skills just based on your artistic and you can kind of hit the ground running day one. Take us through what that's like. So I really went through like the Miyagi school of glass and that's how I've always taught too. Like like I can see someone on their first day if they are going to have an easier time or a harder time to learn it, right? I think anybody can do anything. You know, you might not be able to, you know, shoot a basketball like like Kobe Bryant, you know, Kobe or something like that, but like at least you could go play a pickup game, right? So like I don't think that you can or can't, but there's definitely some level that you can see naturally um, from the beginning. But yeah, I went through the Miyagi school, man. I I I had to put like two rods together and just put them together. And then I had to make marbles and I had to make a jar of marbles and my teacher would pour them out. And if they didn't roll nice, then they'd throw those out. He'd say, hey, your jar's not filled because these aren't marbles. They don't roll. And then, you know, it was that type of thing. And so back when I started, there was no YouTube and 
you know, training and all this other stuff. I mean, these kids these days, it's crazy. They're making rigs after six months and that's cool. Some of them are actually nice, but most of them have no fundamental understanding of how glass works. And it, yeah, I don't know. Now I just sound like an old, old guy, but uh, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, most people haven't had their marbles rolled out and said, do it again, right? They right. Yeah. <laughs> of watching YouTube over and over again. So I'm sure the learning curve, while it probably is steep, but it's probably super helpful to have, you know, like an it established is. teacher, like you're saying. So is, oh, yeah. it, is it easy when you're looking at glass now to tell the differences between one, let's say, that's high end versus low end? Is it like a noticeable for your eye? And can you kind of share some of those 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 tricks that you would notice those things? <laughs> uh, it's a, I can, I can try. Um, I can definitely see, you know, I, I can see an import piece from a mile away. They always look basically the same. They, they just look off. Like there's something just off about them. colors aren't melted in, uh, lack of much color, things like that. Um, as far as a, a quality piece, like a nice rig, if you're looking at like the weld, so the attachment of the mouthpiece and the can, if there's like extra thickness or if you look at it in the light and there's any sort of weirdness there, I'm, it's a bad description, but if you just, if you pick up a bunch, you'll see like certain ones have like a wonky look. It's glass, so it should be melted and blended together perfectly. And a quality weld, there's no thicknesses, there's no anything else. It's just clear and you can look right through it. So stuff like that is what I look for. And so you guys, you have a ton of different artists that you work with. Um you mentioned, is there a certain vetting process that you have to kind of that they go through so that they can actually be part of your network? And then can you walk us through what that vetting process is? Oh, no, it's a great question. Um, yeah, so currently we have 65 artists that work for us full time. Um, they're all over the country. And um, we're shooting to be at 100 by the end of the year and 300 by 2025. These are full timers. They literally, we ask them, how much do you want to make? And they tell us a number and we just buy it from them. Um, so it's a pretty cool little setup. They get to pick their own, uh, their own income and everything. As far as the vetting process goes, you know, we have everybody send us samples and then we look at the samples and we compare them to what we have. And if, if they're good, then we're good. If they're not, and they need a little bit of work, then I can step in and help make suggestions and things like that. We're actually building out a full, um, the bigger we get, the more busy I am. And I'm not at the warehouse or at the studio very often anymore, but what we're trying to do is to build out an actual education sort of platform for guys that, guys and gals that uh, end up joining the team. And so then they're going to be able to have a whole education platform that I can present to them as they get on. But yeah, we, we make sure that everything's to the spec that we need it to be. We, send, we have, have them send in samples. We always pay for the samples. I used to hate it as an artist. Oh, send me some samples, blah, blah. It's like, dude, I can't eat. Like, I can't send you $100 worth of stuff. Like, you know, I'm, I, I just can't do that. So we make sure to pay our artists, even for the samples. Um, and we get them onboarded from there. Do they have creative freedom to do the designs that they think are best? Or do they get input from you? Because I would assume someone like you who's established has probably a keen eye for what's probably going to sell and what's going to work. So how does that process work? <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that little spin you put on that. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, this is so essentially, this is my product line that I've had for whatever... 10 years or so. So what we say is we need our artists to make our products and then that awards them time to be creative on their own. Right. So when we ask them, how much do you want to make? If they're like, Oh, you know, I'd like to make some creative stuff too. It's like, okay, so just tell us what you can make in four days. 
And then you can have three days to do whatever you want. Um, and if you are having, a, if you're hard up and you need a seven days worth of work for the next few few weeks or whatever, that's fine too. So yeah, our, our product line is, is uh, pretty much everything between my partner and I, it's our catalog of products and they need to stay within that range. Do they ever submit like designs and say, hey, Chris, I think this is really awesome. I think this will sell. And then you have to take a look. Is, is that part of the creative process at all? So as of right now, it's not. Uh, the reason for it is, uh, you know, over here on the East Coast, I'm just kidding, but we're, we're, uh, we're really targeting all these dispensaries, which are a lot larger. We don't really work with many mom and pop dispensaries at this point. Most of them are, you know, three, five, 10, a hundred locations or, you know, in that range. So what's hard for us is if John Smith has this awesome piece, how many can he actually make? And when I get an order, if it hits, it's not 10 or 20, you know what I mean? So that's why we have to be real strict as far as how we're, uh, why we're not able to be super open to these other products it's sort of where we've we've needed to, as a business though, expand our product offering. And so that's where we've started to add non-glass products to be able to have something new. Um, you know, grinders we can source in a very large volume, which is no problem to serve a hundred locations, right? Bringing on a, a new style of glass from a unique glass board, it's uh, a very tricky thing. We are in 2023 going to be launching a, like a, a heady line, essentially. We're going to call it something different because corporate doesn't understand heady, but it's going to be something where it's like $500 and up. And then in that case, we will have very limited supply. When they're gone, they're gone, that type of thing. Um, but not on the production side. Do you, I want to stay on the, the artist aspect. Do you guys have certain artists that like, hey, these 10 are really, really good at making this specific type of rig and that's what they focus on. These 10 make this type of rig. And then what is that process in terms of like categorizing the artists into those specific categories? Oh, dude, that, that was a very intuitive uh, question right there. Yeah, we, yeah, like our, like our Frit Spoon, for instance, for our Frit hand pipe, we have 20 people, about 18 to 20 people that make it. It's sort of a two-part thing. One is, hey, is the quality there? And then we turn it back to the artist and we say, okay, so you can do these five products. Which ones do you make the most amount of money doing? And if they say it's going to be product one, two, and three, then they're going to be put into the first tier of that product. So we really want to make it so the artist gets to decide. As long as their quality is there, then it's whatever you want to make. And so sometimes they're, they're like, dude, I'm getting burnt out on that. Can I make this one? Even though I, they don't make much money on it, they'll still want to change it up. Totally cool. Um, but mainly it's, it's about the artists and, and certain, tor- like certain people have certain torches, which they're faster at making certain things, things like that. And so um, we really want to make sure it's tailored to them. How did you get in front of the big MSOs? And then what's that pitch like with the glass in order to kind of have them stock the dispensaries? Oh, man, it is... Uh, the game is definitely who you know. It's a good old boys network for sure. Um, so my partner, he was uh, director of wholesale for one of the large MSOs. And so he was basically a, a, legal, weed, a legal weed dealer, um, wholesaling to other, other dispensaries. And it just was a pretty natural fit. And his uh, boss at the time was cool with him selling glass on the side. So he was just totally connected to all the right people. 
And it was just a, here's your weed. Would you like glass? And got us plugged in. We really, we get introduced to purchasers from like the executive level down rather than having to go into a store and try to talk a bud tender, to talk to a manager, to talk to whatever. So we've been very fortunate in that. And then sort of once we got in, um, because it's such a small network, everybody knew, you know, those big companies. I mean, in Chicago, we have, I believe it's four MSOs that all have offices on one block in the city. And so all of them go to lunch together. They're all friends. Like, yeah, it's competition, but like they're employees, they're, they're friends. They don't care that, you know, as well. Um, so it, it was a pretty unique there. As far as the pitch goes, it's like, Hey, if you want, if you have quality cannabis, why don't you have quality glass? Simple as that. What, uh, when you're stocking those products, right? Is the dispensary or the, the bud tender kind of influencing the purchasing manager? Like how does the relationship between all the different dynamics, right? Because if the bud tender is speaking to the customers, but the purchasing manager is kind of like one step removed. It, it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic of like each person likes something slightly different. So how does the conversation go from selecting the inventory to stock? You know, we definitely look a lot more at price point than style, just the corporate side. You know, it's just the, you know, the big uh, taboo thing to talk about in when it comes to cannabis is the corporate cannabis. But a lot of times we're looking at price points and then from price point, we can then, okay, hey, the $15 price point's doing strong. Let's try another skew in the $15 price point, that sort of thing. Bud tenders are, yeah, like you said, they're the gateway. I'm here at the, the G4 conferences, the Bud Tender Awards. You know, I want to be here supporting them. And they're the most important piece of the whole puzzle, right? And uh, purchasing managers, they, they are removed, but they do a lot of communication with their bud tenders. And uh, yeah, it's uh, there's a, just a lot of communication. Is it a, a one-size-fits-all kind of situation where, uh, say, one MSO has dispensaries across the, the country and they're just like, all right, every dispensary has this same, same skew or is it almost like customized based on like geographical region at all? I, it depends on the company. Some companies, um, we have one company that uh, they're going after like the McDonald's model where how, how long will it help? Can we shave 10 seconds off of a customer to get them through to, um, you know, through the line or whatever, through the drive-thru? They're doing stuff that's similar to that. So they had 15 SKUs. Then they said, no, let's go down to eight, but double the volume. And so then their customers or patients aren't looking around at different pipes, right? Smart. So you have that, right, exactly. Um, there's that going on. It's honestly, all of the above is the answer. Some places like to have the same thing everywhere. Some places like it based off of how the layout in the dispensary is. Um, and then some have state regulations. Florida, um, if you have two pipes, one is blue and one is clear, they both need to be approved separately from the Department of Health. They're the same damn thing. They're both glass. They're both the same shape. There's nothing different except for the color, but they need to be separately approved. So Florida dispensaries don't want to be messing around with a whole bunch of different approval stuff, right? Nope. So um, very, very different on, on the, the legal side, for sure. Is that on your team to know the differences in all those like rules and regs, or is it on the dispensary to help that? Because I can imagine with all the different states, you have all different challenges, which makes you know your role a little harder in that spot. 
Yes. <laughs> Both. Yeah, it's, perfect. Uh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's all across the board. Um, yeah, we're, we need to do our own internal so that we can choose to where we, where we market and where we put our attention. We are very fortunate to be with these large MSOs where when Florida, uh, about six months ago, they, uh, it was actually September of last year, that's when they opened up allowing glass to be sold in dispensaries. And our partners told us on Friday, the news came out on Saturday, right? So a lot of it is relying on, on the big MSOs. I mean, they have legal teams that are, yeah, probably same amount of, as revenue of my, my company. <laughs> <laughs> like, football teams, football teams long of, of players. Right, oh, yeah. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whole floor on a, on a building, yeah. Uh-huh. What's the lead time from, let's say, inception idea to finished product for some of the products you have? We, we do our best to warehouse ahead of time. So we're trying to forecast forecast manufacturing to have as close as just-in-time inventory for our customers as we can. Um, it's definitely a tricky thing. There's certain products that uh, are in such high demand and, and very tricky to make. So that creates bottlenecks for us. But we're at about a three to five day ship period for general orders. We also... Um, I actually have one over there, but uh, we also do like custom branded glass, so private label, and we can make like hitters, spoons, uh, nectar straws, steam rollers, chillums, all with like the company's logo on them. Initial order of those take about six weeks. And then afterwards, it's about a two week lead time because we bring in all the decals in house. But uh, that's been a big one for us. They're, um, they're actually like these hitters that have a ceramic decal that's baked into the glass. So it's not like a vinyl sticker or anything like that. And they're durable. They're safe because even with a lighter, the ceramic doesn't melt. I mean, a lighter is not that hot. So uh, it's a it's a great promotional item. But yeah, the lead time starts out a little bit longer. So it depends on what product. So with those kind of uh, those kind of products, and say you have artists across the whole country, and they have dispensaries across the whole country, is it like the artists all make it, ship it to a central location, and then you guys distribute it? Is that kind of yeah. the the business model associated with it. Yeah. Yeah. All comes to Chicago and it goes back out from there. We can't have our artists ship direct. Um, it, <laughs> I can only imagine. No, <laughs> it probably some good am, stories. You're like, Charlie, what man. is this, Charlie? <laughs> we had Christmas paper in July. Yeah. Like in, 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 the bo- in the bottom of the box. Like, where did this come from? <laughs> I respect it, right? He's a big fan of the season. Just didn't want it to end. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. So, Chris, I heard you on another podcast, and you shared a tidbit about what you look for in a bowl between the carb hole and the actual size of the bowl to kind of tell the difference if it's made well. Can you kind of expand on that and maybe some backstory on that? Cool, yeah, no problem. Um, this is, goes back to the, the Miyagi school of glass that I went through. A pipe is a pipe is a pipe, but you can have one that's nicer than another, right? And so really what I was referencing there is bowl hole. So the part that's in in here to the carb on the side, the bowl hole needs to be smaller than the carb. If you've ever used a pipe that never seemed to clear, it just, it always was chalk. You're like, it just won't, it would never clear. It's because your bowl hole was bigger than your carb hole. If you think about the logic, it just makes sense. That means that the point of least resistance is coming through the bowl. So more air is traveling through there where there's a burnt 
plant that's that's continuing to you know um, continuing to burn, you need that carb hole to be bigger so that it brings in the fresh air and then clears it out. I'm glad you shared that because I didn't know that. I'm curious to know if, if Kellen knows that. And then I take it one step further. Like when you go to these smoke shops, I wonder how many of these bowls have it incorrectly. Do you have any sort of guess on that? A lot. Because <laughs> I just went spoon shopping and I didn't know that exact like ratio thing. But I've always been a person who doesn't like a large bowl just because like you get Scooby snacks and stuff, right? But yeah. it's it's wild because that is there is a ton of glass out there. When I was just looking at a, like a head shop last week, actually. And literally, there's a ton of glass out there with just massive bowl holes. I was looking at it and I was like, no, it's too big of a hole in there. You know what I mean? Like I'm literally going to have to have like a plug nut or something in there to, to stop her up the hole so I can actually load a bowl. <laughs> I, I can only imagine how many people are going to hear this and immediately go grab their bowl and start looking and be like, maybe <laughs> this is why it doesn't work, right? Like <laughs> Uncle David, you finally figured out what the problem was. The sizing is completely off. So what is one fact or concept about glass blowing that would shock a cannabis consumer? I'm going to pause for pause for intenseness. You ready? There's no such thing as double blown. Have you guys ever heard that phrase before? Yeah, yes. but no such thing. No such thing. So just good marketing. It was. A, <laughs> I feel like Brian's a little uncomfortable. I just like think, like I'm thinking now. Like, was I sold a half bottle? Of like, why? What was I sold? So there was a. As the story goes, it was some head shop out in California that just started saying this stuff, double blown, triple blown, quadruple blown, blah, 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 all this stuff. So when you start with a pipe, you start with raw material. The thickness of the raw material gauges how thick the pipe's going to be later on. Now, you can take a thin wall, then a long piece, and condense it down so that it becomes thick. Or you can start with a really thick wall and shape a pipe from it. The closest thing to double blown is if you see pipes that are they're they're full colored, there's a bunch of lines in them. How that's done is there's a clear tube on the inside and then color rods, glass rods that are color on the outside and then an outside layer of clear and that's all melted together. But it's still one wall of glass. So, yeah, that phrase is just not true. There's no such thing. And then I ask, what is double blown? What would it even mean? Like I blow it out once and then I blow it out again? Like it does. Like <laughs> so when you think about it, it doesn't make sense too. But yeah, so that's the hopefully, I hope nobody's not that uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good marketing phrase, right? There's probably a few people are removing items from their shelf as we speak. Like this, <laughs> this is not going to work anymore. So what is, what is scientific glass? So I was doing uh, x-ray tubes for GE, and then I did some work for the DOD. Essentially, it is, I was making the tubes that go, when you go to the dentist and you get like the uh, the x-rays on your teeth, there's a bulb that does that. And I had to make those because they were made on a lathe, but by human, by, by a person. And so um, I could get super technical, but basically... Uh, extremely fine, detailed spacing, all this stuff, angles need to be perfectly right. That was the stuff that I was doing uh, in the scientific world. I was unfamiliar with that. Kellen, were you aware of those? Yeah, I mean, the scientific, scientific glass is like, a lot of glass boring came from like the science world. And like most chemists, when they were trained to be a chemist, 
50 years ago, they were trained to blow glass. And so like being a chemist or a scientist, you would learn to blow glass because in order to do all these crazy scientific experiments, the number one media, it's all done in this class because it's inert. And so like blowing glass and doing science has been hand in hand since the beginning of time. And I mean, it's one of the most, uh, it still is probably the most um, hands-on um, trait, right? Because you can't automate glass blowing from a scientific perspective, at least. Uh, yep. At least to my knowledge, still to this day, it's all like every like if, and everyone in the industry that's an operator right now, every round bottom flask that's on a wiped still, a wiped distillation system, like a Pope or a BTS or whatever, all of those are hand blown. All of the glass columns that do the distillation are all, all hand blown. Mm -hmm. The, the amount of scientific glass that permeate like glass and cannabis, especially nowadays with how much sanit, uh, science is going on and, and all that is they just go hand in hand. It permeates the industry so much. They're spot on. I want to change my answer to what he said. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's the chemist in him, right? He couldn't help himself. I couldn't. <laughs> Kirsten, we could have talked a little bit more about the electrons and everything else. If oh, we could have gotten stuff. so deep in that. <laughs> we, can, we can still do that nerd out hole if you want. <laughs> It was pretty cool. Yeah, we, that was what we were doing. So we were shooting elect, like it was an electrical charge that would shoot off from one side, and then it would reflect off of a titanium disc, and it would knock off one of the electrons. That's how you create the uh, um, the X-ray from like yeah. I don't know. It's been a long time since I've gone oh, down right. that rabbit hole. That's what. Like, yeah. The how like how the temperature of the glass and all that stuff affects like how the light travels through it. It's insane how like the amount of attention to detail that scientific class requires is phenomenal, right? Yeah. It's just mad, <laughs> mad respect for anyone that can do it, in my opinion. I'll shoot you a picture of, uh, of one when I get back into town. I would love that. See what I was making. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be so sick. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Chris, since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? That it's bad for you? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that, uh, I think that's, I mean, I don't know what else to say. That would be the one that, my dad, he's uh, he's 76, and for the longest time, he was so against it. But when I start to hear him change his mind, it, it's that's pretty cool, you know. Um, and uh, I don't know, just think a lot about that. Yeah, it's really well said. Before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you could sum up your experience in a main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? If you have a good idea, Sometimes timing is more important than the idea, so don't let it go. Nice. We haven't had that one. That's a, that's a really like good that. one. Yeah. All right. Prediction time. Chris, okay. it's 2030. What percentage of cannabis flower consumers will own a glass piece? 75. Kellen? 100. I think, I mean, I just think that Consuming cannabis goes hand in hand with owning glass, and they may, they may not use the, the glass every every day. They might prefer uh, vaporizing it or like using a volcano or something like that. But they'll 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 definitely own a, a glass piece. I mean, it just is part of cannabis consumption, in my opinion. So, Ryan, Calvin, what do you think? Go ahead. Calvin, can you send us your resume by by chance? <laughs> <laughs> you got it. I don't know if I'd say 100, right? Like, of course, 100 is, is never the one I would take. But I was going to say probably four out of five, right? I, I think around 80% of people will have that. I think it's just a cleaner experience. Plus, it's fast. But I think that there's some people who consume flour 
who enjoy the process of just the rolling experience. And I think you're never going to take that away from them, but I think they might have a glass piece of the same aspect for those times when they don't want to roll it. So I think for sure, as we continue to progress forward and becomes you know, a, a way more traditional mechanism, I think it'll become very popular. One more question. This is, I, I don't know why we didn't ask this sooner. I've always been curious about the ball jar manufacturing method. How complex is it? Is it really like that crazy that they're like, what makes ball jars? Because like ball jars, everyone in the whole industry uses ball jars, but and ball, I mean, they started an aerospace company because of their glass manufacturing capabilities. Is there something special about that in terms of how they manufacture their jars? Honestly, I wish I could give you more. I That's one that I don't know a ton about. So I don't, I like to speak on things that I know. I don't like oh, to, yeah. you know, so, um, but I'll look into it. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like ball jars and curd jars, which are only those two brands. And I mean, like, I cannot even imagine how much money ball makes from the industry. Just, I, you know what I mean? Like, everyone uses ball jars. <laughs> I would say just so I, I just said I wouldn't speak on it, but I would I would assume that it had something to do more about the ceiling side than it had to do about the glass itself. Yeah, I mean, the I mean, other thing that's really cool is like every single jar is within like two or three grams of each other when you tear them. So it's a very accurate manufacturing process that they have dialed down for sure. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right, that was my last question. Awesome. That's, that's something that never kind of uh, popped in my head. So I'm glad you got a chance to share that. Thank you. <laughs> so, so Chris, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to learn more. Where can they find you and your products? So canandevices.com, C-A-N-N-A-D-E-V-I-C-E-S. That's the best place. There's a little uh, contact form if there's any questions or any of that. Um, you know, Instagram can devices. And then uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn, Chris Piazza. I believe it's Chris Piazza IL. Um, yeah, just changed my profile picture. So I'll actually look like this a little bit more. Nice short hair. Uh, <laughs> old one was like a long, like, yeah, all of it. But um, LinkedIn is a good place for it. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Cool. We'll link it all up in the show notes. Thanks for taking the time, Chris. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for the opportunity. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Infused, a cannabis talk show, is a -a one-of-a-kind look inside the cannabis industry. Meet the amazing people who make cannabis businesses bloom as they join host Nick with Francesca and Mike for creative cannabis conversations. Get an honest look at the business of cannabis, including trends, best and worst practices, products, education, and advocacy. Whether you're kind of curious or running a cannabis, Infused has can of conversations that count. Infused is available on YouTube and is now streaming as part of the PodConnects network.